Hey everyone, and welcome back to the show. Um, I hope that this finds you healthy and safe. I know that we're all frothing to get back in the water. I know I am. And I just ask that as you do so, please do so safely and within the guidelines of your local community. Um, you know, any surfer can tell you that waves come in sets. Uh, but with COVID-19, we don't want to see a second or third wave. Uh, we really want to do this and return to normal as safely as possible. So um, play it safe, keep your distance, wash your hands. And if we all do that, then I think we'll all get back to enjoying the beach and the ocean much sooner. Before we get into the episode, I got some housekeeping. Uh, firstly, we continue to evolve and adapt the show just like nature. And we started to add video. So we've put a couple of these on Instagram and eventually we're just gonna have one episode a week that will be both video and audio. The audio will drop in your feed if you're already subscribed, so no worries there. And if you prefer to watch on video and see me attempt to make a set out of my apartment for now, then you know, please tune in. Um, this week in this year's show, we've got some cool stuff going on. We've got a special guest. We're gonna be covering some ocean news, talking about how COVID-19 is a kind of its impact on nature for better or worse, talking about uh, a Florida aquarium that may have a solution to the plight of coral reefs and talking about some policy that could help advance conservation uh, here in the US and hopefully that'll inspire globally as well. And we have a special guest on the show this week. Uh, our friend Chad Wiggins is on the show and Chad is on the show for a few reasons. One, he works with the Nature Conservancy and does incredible work out of Hawaii and the Palmyra Atoll. And he's just an expert in the space and a really great guy. Um, two, he was recently featured in John John Florence's four-part series, Vela, which, uh, in which John and um, Nathan Florence's brother, Eric Knudsen, his filmer, and his really good friend, Kona Johnson, all sail from Hawaii down to the Palmyra Atoll, and they hang with the Nature Conservancy to understand why this place is so beautiful and what it's all about. And it's a really cool four-part series. And so what we have here today is a conversation with the expert, Chad, dropping in your podcast feed this week is an episode with Kona, and it's a really fun conversation. Definitely subscribe so you don't miss that episode. And then be sure to go watch the four-part series Vela with John John and crew. Um, so yeah, pretty excited. If you didn't catch our uh, Earth Day episode last week, then we highly recommend that you go give it a listen. Don't miss this one. We spent a ton of time on it. It's a special episode and going forward, we're going to continue to do these ad hoc when their time, when the time and tide are right for us to do it. Um, but yeah, it's a good one. And if you liked it, please do share, please do rate, please do review. That really helps this podcast grow, helps us meet more people, help, helps us educate people about the ocean. And um, that's really important. And if you haven't given it a listen, please do go check it out. Um, all right. So about that education, we're going to learn a lot today from Chad Wiggins. We even asked people if they had questions for Chad. So we were going to answer your questions in this episode. Uh, without further ado, here is Chad Wiggins of the Nature Conservancy. Hey, Chad. Welcome hey. to the show. Aloha, Reese. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. It's good to have you here. Um, I'm, I'm really glad to connect with you this week. You have a really interesting role and uh kind of place in this universe of marine conservation so really excited to chat with you how you doing i'm doing great yeah things are good here in hawaii on hawaii island uh, how about you yeah good man welcome to my living room uh these are these are the times we're in um good good to meet you over zoom basically but this is the way we roll so it's all good I'll give you the river tour later on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. And I'll give you the garage tour. I'm, I'm out of the house. We got family that moved in with us when quarantine started happening. So uh, I'm working from the garage these days. 
you and a lot of people. Um, that's awesome, man. Um, so you're based in Hawaii, right? That's right. Yeah. Right in Waimea on Big Island. Nice. But a lot of your work actually takes you to uh, the Palmyra Atoll. And that's kind of why we're, we're chatting here today. Um, where is that and what's that place all about? Yeah, Palmyra Atoll is about a thousand miles south of Oahu um, and it's located five degrees above the equator. The place is all about climate adaptation and resilience. Uh, I'm actually, you know what, I'm, gonna cut you. I'm actually going to try to like, let's actually show people where this thing is at. I'm going to show in Google Maps and so then you can kind of like tell us where we're going here. Yeah, um, if, you, if you look <laughs> at the Pacific Ocean and point right at the middle of it, kind of yeah. the middle of all that open water. Are you seeing this on yours? Yeah, I got I'm Google Maps it. up. So it. like, it's so wild. I've done, I did this earlier as a test, right? And I like yeah. pull it up and it's like truly just the middle of nowhere. So that, those yellow stars are Hawaii, right? Yep. And we're truly like, let's zoom in in the yeah. exact middle. Oh no, I might've lost it. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's go. hard to find again. <laughs> there we go. Okay, it's back. Right yeah, yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's really... It's like the middle of the ocean. If you threw a dart at the middle of the of your map of the Pacific, you'd probably hit Palmyra. I mean, it's just out there. What, so how do you get there when you go? Uh, so the way that, uh, you know, the best way to get there is by sailing. Um, with people sail there. My hat is off to them. Uh, yeah. Most of the time when we're going there for work, we, we need to charter a flight out of Honolulu. Uh, okay. We fly in and we, the Conservancy maintains a runway on Cooper Island, which is the island where the the dot is for the pen is yeah and so and and you're with the nature conservancy right you're the yep. marine program director is that the official title uh palmyra program director okay. and the palmyra programs within the hawaii chapter so okay, we, all, cool. we all work together here in hawaii for hawaii and palmyra nice and then within this like i mean i'm looking at an island and on my screen here it's a certain size but the reality how big is it actually physically yeah, it's how, about how big is the island the, the land of Palmyra, I mean, there's a lot of disconnected islets uh, that you can see and the ocean right. goes right in between them. It's about 680 acres of land, which is pretty tiny for uh, the conservancy. Uh, part of that's a national wildlife refuge as well, uh, managed mm -hmm. by the Fish and Wildlife Service. But it's about 16,000 acres of reef, uh, which is about half the amount of reef wow. that the Big Island has. So really a lot of reef at Palmyra for such a tiny, tiny area of land. Yeah, that's incredible. And so you guys kind of, I mean, what you can see if you look in and you zoom in on the video for anyone just kind of listening at home, there is an airstrip and you've got, are these buildings here at the end of this yep. airstrip? Is that you guys? That's the Nature Conservancy's Climate Adaptation and Resilience Laboratory at Palmyra. So yep, there's the lab, the shop where we fix all our equipment in our boats, um, the cabins where everybody lives. And then yeah. you can see our water, our water catchment just below the beach. So all of our drinking water, um, potable water comes from that kind of white roof. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. And so maybe just really quickly, uh, some history on the island itself. Um, you know, I know that it... Uh, it's in the middle of nowhere, but I think was it under kind of U.S. occupancy as a military outpost? Seems like a strategic sort of place to have an airstrip and maybe yeah. a lagoon to hide some boats or something. Yeah, kind of a funny um, history there. Uh, it was privately owned prior to that, um, and during World War II, actually 1939, uh, before Pearl Harbor, um, the U.S. Navy started to build out Palmyra, and so okay. they dredged the lagoon and they connected all the islets and put in facilities for their their ships and their planes to use Palmyra as sort of a forward operating base for that part of the Pacific. 
Gotcha. And when did the Nature Conservancy take over? How long has it been in the control of the Nature um, Conservancy? The family that owned it prior to us was looking for a buyer and they were entertaining bids. So Wait, like a family a had it? Term. Like it yeah, was like, a, like a, yeah. a, an escape? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah they're a private <laughs> island. Uh, they're still, it's a Hawaii-based family. We still bump into them sometimes. Okay. Um, the Ford Leos and they're, they owned it. They were looking to sell it. And so they were uh, getting offers for nuclear waste facilities, for casinos, and uh, the Conservancy put in an offer for conservation, which they, they liked. So we purchased it in 2000. Uh, then we worked with the Fish and Wildlife Service to actually sell the, some of the islands back to them. Um, and so the Fish and Wildlife owns all the islands except the island where the lab is. Gotcha. And we wow. recouped our investment, protected the atoll. It was a, a good story for conservation. I mean, I feel like you just quickly breezed over it, but it's an important point is here we have a, what is now a pristine, amazing habitat, you know, with some remnants of man, of course, both the research side, but of the actual kind of military stuff that was there, but it could have become a nuclear waste site. It could have become a casino, not that casinos are inherently bad, but might have very much changed what this place is, which to me, as someone sitting in California, um, watching John John and Kona and Nathan's trip on the Bella series, their sale out to go visit you guys, I look at that and I go, oh my goodness, is there any place like this left on the planet? Um, yeah. And I've traveled a lot and that place looks really pristine. So, I mean, um, I, I just kind of like dumped a whole lot there, but basically uh, tell us a little bit more about the ecosystem. I mean, how many people are actually there on the island and what's what's it what's it like there um so to the point of pristine i mean if if you think of everything that we could do wrong uh we did it in palmyra so we pulverized <laughs> the lagoon we killed all the coral we filled in the reef we dumped toxic chemicals you know we did everything that all the sins of humanity mm -hmm. um, that we're castigating ourselves for now was done there but then we let nature recover and so it's amazing what can happen in 50 years, 70 years, if we leave a place alone, even if we haven't been necessarily the best stewards. You know, nature is powerful and resilient. Uh, Paul Myers shows us that. Right now we have um, eight people down there that are kind of keeping the place going. They're also doing a rainforest realignment project uh, where they're maximizing the seabird habitat in an effort to increase the resilience of the islands and the coastal ecosystem at Palmyra. So they're working every day. Uh, keeping uh, conservation going. That's amazing. Um, and so this, this place, I mean, it's, it's interesting because on the one hand, human, human impact has, was significant there at one point, but we've now allowed the island to recover at least as much as possible, it seems. Um, but it does seem like it provides a really cool opportunity to create a baseline. Um, you know, it's so hard to get a baseline understanding of the way things should be in a given place um, when it's all changing so rapidly, right? And right. so it seems like a place where you might be able to get a baseline and say, okay, well, what does an ecosystem look like if it's actually untouched by man? Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. It's a global baseline and there's only a few places like that. Um, these places that either were untouched or have been left alone long enough for the system to recover. And that's everything from Sharks to coral polyps, you know, the big stuff, the little stuff, all of it kind of working together without it being interrupted. Uh, a really important baseline for us to understand. I did see I did, I did see a good couple of clips out of there. You mentioned the sharks of, uh, you know, Kona jumping in like to set anchor <laughs> and um, visited by a couple friends. It looked like pretty healthy yeah. shark population there. 
yeah, you know, the sharks are supposed to be the bosses, right? Uh, and a lot of times they're kind of the first species to greet us and the first species, if we don't want them around, uh, that, you know, the first ones to go. Um, they're so important, though. Uh, they keep the whole system healthy and thriving. And so where you have healthy shark populations, your fish are healthier. Your whole ecosystem is a lot faster and, and better able to adapt. Yeah, for sure. It's um, they're they're that kind of linchpin um, species. So we've we've got a, we've got a bunch to cover because we we reached out to our um, you know followers and fans and said, hey, we're going to speak with Chad, and a bunch of people had questions. So I got questions from um, some of our pro surfers to just some of our fans. Um, so I'm excited to get to those, and we also have a couple headlines this week that I think are kind of cool to look at with this lens of, you know, the work that you do on the Palmyra Atoll. So let's, uh, let's hop into a couple uh, headlines here. The first one, um, there are a lot of stories and, you know, we don't go too deep into the actual like specific headline because there are so many outlets writing about this, but um, there are some stories talking about COVID-19 and its effect on nature. And, you know, whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, um, what it means, and I'm curious if you had an opinion one way or another around that, you know, like there's this kind of funny debate of like, oh, humans are the virus. And it's like, well, actually, no, because that's kind of this eco-fascist opinion. And you're more an expert than I am. So what's your take on what's happening with COVID-19? How does it affect your work directly and then more broadly? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely not an expert on COVID-19. But, <laughs> um, but what, what's interesting is, you know, nature is such as this powerful force. Um, those of us who spend time on the ocean, we see the power, right? You see, you see the power of nature. It's not a surprise. For sure. But when you get a microbe that changes the way that we live our lives, and it's actually you know, having severe impacts for people, um, can really make us reevaluate. The power of nature is not just these forces that appear to be powerful. It's also you know, everything in this, in this system that we're a part of that we grew up in. Um, so it's really humbling in a way. Um, it's also an opportunity for us to kind of look at our place on the planet. You know, what, it, how do we fit in, um, and what can we learn? Yeah, I think the point that you make that I really like out of all of this narrative that's come out, and that's both articles from the World Economic Forum to Earther and Gizmodo. They put out some really interesting articles about, you know, we talk about nature as it being this separate thing. And that's, it's an interesting thing that we even like create parks and create protected areas as if, okay, we protected it over there and now that's good and fine. But the reality is, is we're very much a part of it. I mean, um, it's been fascinating to see how all the wildlife has come back into, you know, LA being an urban area, just kind of, you see it a little bit more and you're like, it's all around us all the time. And we're right. such an intricate part of this ecosystem. Um, so I just kind of, it's dangerous to say, Oh, nature's over there and it's separate from it. We are a part of it. And I like that in this series when, when you're talking to the guys, you kind of talk about, you know, humans role in this ecosystem and the ecosystem of abundance. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah. I think if you're on an Island, um, you, it's easier to see that, you know, cause and effect is right there. And, uh, in the Pacific, people have been living in harmony with nature, living sustainable lifestyles for thousands of years. So, there's all these examples out there of really finding a balance where people and nature thrive. Um, and when we find that, then everything is, is just much, much simpler. I think uh, as long as we can find a balance where we're, we're both getting what we need, um, everybody does well. Yeah, for sure. Um, now there are of course places where we've gotten out of balance 
And even, even in places like Palmyra, of course, it's still affected by, uh, you know, climate change, those things that travel beyond all borders. Right. right. Um, but there are some, some positive stories, people working on cool stuff, trying to like make good out of all of this. And so one story that's pretty exciting. I mean, this one got sent to me by so many different people. We kind of, we kind of call this segment of news flotsam and jetsam because it's whatever floats into our inbox each week. Um, you'll, I figure you'd appreciate that being an Island dweller. <laughs> um, but you know, this one came from my dad and from family and friends and people on social media that, um, a Florida aquarium is, uh, might have figured out a way to help breed corals um, in captivity to maybe keep them alive so we can put them back out into the wild. Um, I've, I'm assuming you've done a lot of coral reef work out at the atoll and I'm wondering, you know, what are your thoughts on this? Is this, is this a solution? Is it kind of just too early to tell? What do you think? That's part of a solution. I think I got inspired by the Florida Keys, the first place I ever jumped in and saw a coral reef. Um, when I was You're from that area of the world, right? You're from the yeah, Southeast? Yeah, I grew up in Alabama um, yeah. and got to go down to the Keys on vacation and just blown away, lobsters and barracudas and corals. Um, so really a special place to me and got me kind of started on this journey. Um, restoring corals is, is a part of the solution, especially in places where the impacts that killed the corals in the first place are being managed. Um, you can really accelerate recovery. Yep. And you know, places like Palmyra are important though, because we, our reefs don't die the same way that other reefs do. So, you know, if we can get the same impact as another area, our reefs can fully recover. And so we're trying to understand that system, hack that system sort of, and figure out, you know, why are our reefs growing fast? Why are they able to survive these events? And it seems like the, having an intact ecosystem is a huge part of this that needs to be included with any strategy to restore your reef. Yeah, it does seem like, you know, I've spoken with a number of people in this space. Um, I was even just texting with our mutual friend, uh, Jamie Gove, right before this. Um, he, he had some very complex questions for me to ask you. I'm not sure we're going to get to them. It might take another episode. Um, but from, from Jamie to, you know, some of the people we worked with when we were in Tahiti last year, um, it seems like coral reefs, it's kind of death by a thousand cuts for them right? It's, it's not just any one thing. If it was just one thing, they probably could bounce back. But if we weren't simultaneously overfishing and killing, you know, those linchpin uh, predators that are keeping the reef in check, while also acidifying, while also nutrient runoff, while also plastic pollution and fishing nets ripping the reef, you know, it's like all this stuff combined together makes it a pretty gnarly situation for a coral reef. But if we can study that one effect and understand, okay, this reef bleached, but it was able to bounce back because the rest of the ecosystem was intact. That sounds, that sounds really positive. And so it sounds like we need to do as much as we can to keep as much of, as much of it as we can in place. Does that make yeah, sense in my very non-scientific way of talking? Well, you're right that we need to do as much as we can. And, and you're also right that there's so many um, impacts that it's really easy to kind of get pulled into that. Um, and if we go there, then we get immobilized a lot of times. Just the magnitude is so great. Um, there's a great, a healer in Hawaii who says, you don't heal by seeing the sickness, you heal by seeing the wellness. And to me, Palmyra is that place of wellness. Uh, if we understand what wellness is, then we can kind of skip a few steps, if you will. We don't have to start looking at every possible part of the sickness anymore. We start putting in those pieces of wellness and you know, it's a different approach um, in some ways, but in other ways, it's really old. It's an old way of looking at things. I dig that. I like that. Um, you know, you got to try to find that positive thing, you know, anytime you 
kind of get low. And I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, I, I, I will quote Avon Chouinard a million times on this podcast. You know, the cure for depression is action. It can feel super overwhelming, but you got to take this all as information and use it to empower yourself to go take action and then build upon those actions. That's kind of my um, MO. So I like that looking for what is that little bit of wellness and positivity. Um, one thing that we're really excited about and bringing us to our, our kind of final article and a, a signal of positivity is uh, the movement to conserve more of our planet. Um, this is something we're working on. We're going to be launching a campaign in the coming months and it's called 30 by 30. It's the idea to conserve 30% of nature by 2030. And this is being talked about at the international level. And uh, in the U S uh, Senator Tom Udall from New Mexico is really pushing this. And he released a large article on medium this week talking about the reasons why we need to push for greater conservation and, as someone from an org like the Nature Conservancy, I'm really curious to hear your opinion around conservation, especially like what we talked about before. I mean, talking about humans being separate from nature, but at the same time being a part of it. And how do we protect it in a way that allows us to still thrive with nature, but um, do it in a, in a way that we don't just abuse that, those conservation guidelines, I guess. Yeah, it's great that you're, um, you're supporting that. I mean, 30 by 30 is an awesome way of looking at things. There's kind of an international arm to this and then, part of the initiative. Um, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature uh, had a meeting in Hawaii in 2014. Our governor at that time said that we would protect 30% uh, of our nearshore waters, make sure they're effectively managed by the year 2030. Um, so I think Hawaii as a state is on board with, with 30 by 30. And it's an awesome kind of rallying cry. You know, if we can, if we can do this for 30% of the ocean, uh, we're all gonna see benefits. Uh, where I'm really interested in it is, you know, let's, let's do that, but let's also think about what we're doing in the other 70%. Uh, and of course we will. Um, but you, mean, you can't just do whatever that. over here in 70% and so long as, yeah. you know, right, like, right. Well, not literally anything, right? I mean, you could, you could do some things, but um, like how, if I go exercise, I can eat a gallon of ice cream. Everything's totally cool. Right. Yeah. It depends <laughs> on how much exercise, right? Um, <laughs> So, you know, working with folks in places like Palau, um, they really started with, you know, this network. Let's look at a network of 30% and then let's build from that and see what else, what else can we be doing in the other 70% and building their way toward, um, you know, 100% of the planet needs to be cared for. That doesn't mean that 100% of the planet has to be um, protected necessarily. It just means that what we're doing in that 70% needs to be really thoughtful and mindful as well. Yeah, that's a really great way to, to, to put it. And we can't just divvy it up into numbers and say, okay, over here, we're going to pollute and over here, we're not going to. It, it is, we do have to have a holistic 100% plan. Um, it's just, you know, being really mindful about how we use each of these spaces. Uh, yeah, we're excited about it. We're, you know, unfortunately, the, um, the World Conservation Congress, or sorry, the, uh, the IUCN Congress and the UN uh, CBD and all of that has been delayed by COVID-19 this year. So it's pushing back a lot of the timelines, but um, we're still eager to help support this campaign and uh, really excited about it. So we'll probably be hitting you up for, for more insight later this year. Yeah, and there's some great people, you know, throughout the Pacific and Hawaii um, who are, who've been on this path for longer than I have. So really good contacts out there who are pursuing conservation at scale. Cool. Well, speaking of all the people around the ocean who are working on this or care about this, um, we put it out to, to our, our fans on Instagram and said, hey, we're talking to Chad and people chimed in. We've got some, we've got some awesome questions here. So um, there, I want to get through all the questions because they're all pretty good. So maybe we'll keep the answers fairly tight. 
Um, first up from RV Dean is coral, a plant, a rock or an animal. Oh man, it's all three. I got a kid song about that. Actually. Uh, it's alive and it builds a, a rock skeleton and the animal has a plant inside. It's a dinoflagellate that uh, gives the coral its color. So all Love three. It. Back up. You have a kid song about that? Like that you wrote and play? Oh, yeah. I see a guitar yeah. in the background. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I don't know if that qualifies as a short answer, Rev, but uh, yeah, I, I wrote it for my kids' um, kindergarten class here, here in Wynea. I love it. We're, we're going to have to get that music licensed for a future episode. Um, what is, uh, we had two people ask, Kim Hogan and Jessica Kelly asked, what's your favorite coral? Favorite coral. Holy smokes, man. That's like picking a favorite kid. Although I only have one kid. So for me, for me, it's easy to pick a kid. It's actually harder to pick a coral. I'd probably say the Acropora, the table corals, they grow those super wide like table plates that you can pretend to have a meal on and you're down there diving. Um, yeah, it's probably my favorite coral. The, the footage in episode three of Avella is just like incredible. That one table coral. I don't know if he's got, if, if Eric has like a super wide on it, but that angle, it just, mm -hmm. it looks incredible the way it's just fawned out that it's just uh, it's so rad. I mean, I haven't seen corals yeah. like that in all of my years of diving. Um, Huge. I mean, the plate, the way that the coral can grow when it's protected like that, it's just unreal. You get in the water and immediately you're, you're stoked up. I love it. Um, a couple of people asked Adam uh, Skolnick and April Wong, some friends of mine, what's up Adam and April asked, uh, as sea levels rise, what's going to happen to atolls? Yeah. Awesome They're pretty low line, right? Out. I mean, like, yep. uh, I think yeah. I read that Paul Myers only got like 10 feet of altitude. Yeah. High, <laughs> a high spot would be 10 feet at Palmyra. Um, it's, a, it's an existential threat for, you know, not just atolls, but people who live close to sea level in coastal areas. Um, Places like Palmyra have a little bit of an advantage because right now the coral can grow at the rate of sea level rise. So we actually see it a real low tide coral growing out of the water. It's going to oh, wow. continue knocking those waves down. The island's going to continue to accrete. The forest that's growing there is going to drop soil. Um, so we can survive for a lot longer. But if you lose those, you lose your, your vegetation, you lose right. your reef, you're going to be underwater. And eventually, you know, um, those islands will become seamounts and then they'll become you know, deep deep water stuff without anything growing anymore. Yeah. A similar question um, from Jimmy O'Brien, a buddy in New York, uh, with sea levels rising, we will, will we begin to see new reefs forming as coastlines change? Uh, it's possible. I mean, if you start to look at, we did some work in West Hawaii modeling, not reefs, but ancholine pools. And what you can see as sea levels rise is new habitats will start to emerge inland. Um, so in places with real rocky coastlines and without a lot of um, buildings and roads and things, you might get to see some new coral habitat, you know, 50, 100 years from now, probably not, not anytime soon. But cool. The reef, if the reef can grow, it's going to grow in the new, new areas when they're underwater. Right. Um, how is this, this is from Amy Archer, uh, how is this type of conservation possible? Because I'm assuming it's ex expensive. And is it scalable? Yeah, that's one of the things that's really important to us is making sure that what we're doing is uh, having an impact beyond Palmyra. Um, it's possible because of the generosity of the supporters of the Nature Conservancy. We're a nonprofit and our members are, are you know, our lifeblood. Uh, so they believe in the work that we do and they support us to do it. But if we're not sharing it, then uh, it's, it's not a great investment. So. What we, what we do and want to continue to do is export what we learn. Uh, when we 
got rid of all the rats on the atoll in 2011. Um, now that's a priority throughout the Pacific and other places that want to have healthy seabirds. So we share our knowledge. Um, we're looking at other conservation interventions to help the reefs grow faster and we want to share what we're learning from those as well. And that's how it, it makes sense. And people can go to nature.org slash Palmyra, correct? Uh, yep. Great P-A-L-M-Y-R-A. Yeah. Got yeah, it. a great place to go. Or you can watch the awesome Vela series and uh, and it's got the link right on there. You'd rather oh, we're not done yet. I'm just giving you a good plug for where to donate on that question. Um, we've still oh, got yeah, a bunch please. more. <laughs> you're, you're trying to get out of this. Um, so uh, this one's from Belinda Baggs, who is an amazing surfer down in Australia um, and an incredible activist for the environment. She said, how effective is coral planting in the bigger picture? Um, and will this coral also suffer from bleaching if the next bleaching, if and when the next bleaching event occurs? So some people, you know, coral restoration is, there's coral restoration and seeding and planting. There's a lot of different stuff. But if we generally take the idea of planting corals, um, how effective is that? And will it survive yeah. another bleaching event? Yeah, a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me are asking that question and trying it at different scales. I mean, I think it's, again, it's a part of the solution. And if you have an area where coral should be growing and it's not, let's say you had dynamite fishing, um, bomb fishing, it happens throughout Indonesia, throughout the Philippines, a lot of the world. Um, you can rebuild those reefs by planting corals or by putting structure back down, the coral is gonna grow. Um, if you take it into a harbor where the water's dirty and try and make a reef there, it's gonna be a lot harder. So um, it's a part of the solution in places where corals can grow for sure. And one of the really exciting areas of research we're getting into is uh, looking at coral food. Um, so can you improve the health of a reef before a big event happens, like a coral bleaching event, so that it's more likely to survive? Um, we're doing some really fun science around that question right now. Um, that might be a scalable approach for areas to help keep the reefs from dying in the first place, sort of preventative medicine for the reefs. Very cool. I dig it. Um, all right, we've got a similar question from a couple of our pros. Uh, from Lakey Peterson, what do you see as the main thing we need to do to change to improve coral reef health? And from Paige Oms on the big wave side of things, what is the number one thing we could be doing now to help our reef systems specifically? So both, what can we do? What can everyone yeah. sitting at home do? Yeah, two things. One, uh, take action locally. If you know that your reef uh, is getting worse where you're living, think about what's happening to it right there and, and start addressing those. Uh, but the main thing that's an existential threat to coral reefs is climate change. So uh, if the water gets too hot for too long in too many places, you're going to see those reefs unable to recover. And that's going to happen more and more frequently. Um, so anything that we can do to uh, reduce our impact on the planet through uh, carbon emissions, through our lifestyle, through our diet, through our travel uh, is super important right now. Uh, we need to make sure that we don't exceed to two degrees Celsius climate uh, or temperature increase. For sure. Good tips. Um, we also have a whole bunch of tips. If you go to WCLPure.org in our climate section, we have a bunch of individual tips on things you can do for anyone who's wondering, how can I, you know, reduce my footprint? Um, what are the best ways? So this is kind of a similar one, but specifically in quarantine from Zach Suhar. Uh, what up, Zach? Um, what are the best ways to support our oceans and nature in general while in quarantine? Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, there's always supporting nonprofits that are doing good work. Um, there are a lot of them out there. I work for one, but there's a lot more. Um, and there's also great opportunities for education, virtual field trips. Um, we have this thing called a nature lab. And so you can go 
on a trip to the Caribbean, see some coral outplanting happening. Uh, you can go to Palmyra, see our uh, renewable energy facility down there, uh, traveling without leaving. But probably the best way to support reefs, to support nature in general, is to be really active uh, as a citizen in this this nation or whatever nation you belong to, if you're in a democratic society, participate in governance, make sure your government's making decisions that are making sense to you. Yeah, for sure. Um, very, very strong tips there. Uh, and Zach, we have a, from our Earth Day episode, we have a long list of other stuff that you can uh, check out that we did last week um, and ways that you can get involved because Earth Day isn't just last week. It's every day, it should be every day. Um, okay, a couple more questions. Similar along the quarantine, Connor Coffin, um, pro surfer from Santa Barbara, shout out Connor. Uh, have you seen any difference in the water quality and reef life since coronavirus outbreak? Maybe not just in Palmyra, but is there, is anything changing as a result of maybe less shipping or less people in the water? Maybe too soon to tell? Yeah, for me, um, I, I've been jumping in the water at a couple spots that I know. Um, You're so lucky. Uh, I, <laughs> You know, I'm following the, the state laws, of course, uh, and recommend anybody else who's out there, you know, follow all the rules. Um, Good for you, man. But that, I mean, <laughs> I'm still know, stuck. Right? I'm dry. I'm so dry here. My gills are. Oh, <gasps> uh, gosh, I can relate. Yeah. Um, but I'm not, I mean, you know, and I, I hear people who are, and that's awesome. You know, I've heard about uh, folks seeing big changes in the fish behavior. We're so lucky here on the island of Hawaii. You know, there's so much room. Uh, there's so many different places to jump in. I like to jump in at some spots that not a lot of people go to. Um, and so those areas weren't, weren't too impacted. Uh, but I hear a lot of, from other people about how their, their favorite beach is looking cleaner. Um, so that's awesome. That's really great. Love it. All right. Final question from uh, Dak Millie, I think it is. Of all the songs Chad wrote and performed on Palmyra, which one means the most to him and why? Oh man, that's you, easy. It sounds like you're really a performer. I, I mean, you, do you have an album that you want to hype right now? No album, although I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking into it. I got enough songs now. Um, I got to, first of all, credit the Crabtown Orchestra. So we had Dan Van Linte on the stand-up jug bass. We, we recycled an old rubbish can, um, and he was Love our bass man. Uh, captain Rick Belton was a boat captain down there. We wrote a song called uh, Coco's which was for the Fish and Wildlife Service volunteers who are doing the rainforest realignment project. They're the ones who are out there working eight hours a day taking care of the forest. Um, and that one's probably the most special to me, I think. Uh, just re recognizing those hardworking young people who are the next generation of conservation was, was really cool. Where can we hear this song? Uh, Do you have a SoundCloud? Like... I mean, I, I, I'm wondering where, how people even know about it. There is one funny clip um, in, the, in the Vela film where uh, we're kind of messing around and then we get upstaged by uh, a manta ray or eagle ray. So that <laughs> yeah. can happen anytime at Palmyra. You got to have a, a, a small ego if you're a musician down there. So, <laughs> you get um, upstaged by nature. Yeah. But we'll talk more. Yeah. Maybe if there's a way to share the music, we'll, we'll try to get it out there. <laughs> I love it. Well, anything else you want to share with us, Chad, before you go? I think so. Um, you know, it's so important to think about how resilient nature is and how important it is for us to learn from nature. I, I think about the coral reef at Palmyra, uh, coral reefs anywhere. Uh, they're made from tiny coral polyps, you know, one of the smallest animals out there, but they grow together, they work together, they create islands. And so to me, that's always my inspiration, drawing from nature, 
Uh, if a coral polyp can do that, what can people not do if we work together? So that's, that's one thought I'd like to leave everybody with. I love that. You know, just, I think one of the most fascinating things about nature is, is when you zoom in to like, the, look at all these tiny little things that build these massive things and look at these big animals that get big by eating small things. It's such a fascinating connection. I think that's one of the coolest takeaways I've had yet on the show. Thanks for that, Chad. Right. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks. Cool, man. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah, you got it. Thanks. For, take care. Thanks to Chad for his time and knowledge and thanks to Nature Conservancy for all the work that you do. And thank you for listening and watching here. Um, it's really, really fun to bring these stories to you. And if you're excited about it, then you've got some work to do. Number one, make sure you check out the WCL Pure One Ocean episode with Kona Johnson dropping this week. Um, Kona has a really cool perspective. He's a beautiful writer and is able to kind of just come at it with fresh eyes. And I think it's a really fun podcast episode. So that'll be in your podcast feed only, just the audio, um, and available on YouTube if you listen there. Uh, number two, go check out John John's series, Vela. Uh, it's a four episode series. It's on YouTube, youtube.com slash JJF. Some beautiful, beautiful scenery. Great work by Eric Knudsen, Parallel C, at Parallel C on Instagram if you wanna follow some of their storytelling. Uh, it really does a fantastic job. So um, it's, worth, it's worth a watch. And number three, support the Nature Conservancy. Go to nature.org slash palmyra. That's nature.org slash P-A-L-M-Y-R-A. Um, really, they do fantastic work as you heard from Chad's explanation earlier. You can always find us online at wcellpure.org and we've got our Instagram and social networks at wcellpure. Shoot us an email, oneocean at wcellpure.org. If we didn't get to your question, uh, we're sorry. We really appreciate everyone who sent in questions, but if we didn't get to it, shoot us an email with it and uh, we'll try to get an answer from Chad for you. Um, until next time, I hope you're staying safe. I hope you're washing your hands. I hope you are not touching your face. I hope that you are following the general guidelines for social distancing and I hope that you're getting wet if that's within the rules of your local county um, and I am jealous, but cool. Enjoy and we'll see you next week. Thanks.